My guest today is Leone Young, Chief Executive Officer for Beyond Blue, the organisation that is helping to bring to public awareness the problems of depression. I'm sure that most of us know someone who has or have had a problem with what at times can be a very debilitating illness. Whether they're a member of our family, a friend or a colleague, or even perhaps ourselves. Hopefully, as a result of this program, we will all know a little more about this condition. So it's with great pleasure I welcome you, Leonie, to the program. Thank you. Will you explain to me more about Beyond Blue and how it came about? Yes, Beyond Blue was established in the year 2000 by originally the Commonwealth Government, the Australian Government and the Victorian Governments to set up a national depression initiative and other states have come on board since then and now we're supported by every state and territory in Australia. We originally had a five-year term, we now have a second five-year term and our key goal was to raise awareness about depression and to tackle the stigma, the associated stigma that often accompanies depression and mental illness in Australia. How did you get involved? I was invited in 2003 to apply for the CEO's position. Uh, Ian Hickey had been the original CEO. He started in 2000 and he was leaving to go back to the Brain and Mind Research Institute in Sydney with his family based in in Sydney in New South Wales. And uh, so there was a vacancy at the CEO level. Several people uh, were invited to apply and I was one of those and was lucky enough to get the position. I came down from, from the Northern Territory where I was the state manager or the territory manager for the Department of Health and Aging and I had Prior to my going to the NT, where I was for about three and a half years, I'd had five years with the national policy and program area of the National Mental Health and National Youth Suicide Prevention Strategies. So if you like, I had a background in mental health reform. I had quite some experience in the Northern Territory around implementing the federal government's health policies and programs and I'd had a long-term interest in health service reform, either aged care or mental health, Aboriginal health, or for the position at Beyond Blue, using all of those skills to consolidate Beyond Blue's depression awareness and, importantly, uh, taking the organisation forward. Sounds like you've been a busy girl. (laughs) (laughs) Over the last little while uh, in health service reform, yes, very much. But it's one of those things that, Uh, you have an interest and a passion for and importantly uh, working with with the community, working with governments, working with health services and organisations, bringing all that together is what we do at Beyond Blue and it is something that many, many people are involved in across Australia. It's great work. Is there still a stigma or a shame with depression? Is it kept behind closed doors? For some people it is. It's not so much closed doors, but uh, many people don't understand it or want to talk about it. They see it as, and this is a territory saying, a shame job or there's a, a weakness about having depression or mental illness and people prefer not to talk about it or to seek help. Imagine not seeking help for heart disease, diabetes or cancer and it's those same issues that really should prompt people to seek help early and they don't and it's about an attitudinal or a shame or a stigma problem and yes, your question, very important one, depression is still talked about quietly behind closed doors or not talked about at all. Do you think this is because a lot of people don't understand enough about depression? I do and that's one of Beyond Blue's key goals 
is to get the information about depression, the illness, the critical facts out there for people to know about. Our vision is to support Australia's community to know more about depression and to be able to respond effectively to it so that it is just like then heart disease, diabetes or any other illness. But more importantly, that the critical facts about depression are, are well known and there's no shame factor about talking about it or seeking help. Can you explain to me exactly what depression is? I'm not a clinician. That means mm. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. My background is in health education, but, uh, but the research and the information that we have about depression is that for more than two weeks, it's a, a debilitating illness that keeps people from doing the things that they would normally do and enjoy so they may feel sad down or miserable most of the time and they lose interest or pleasure in most of their usual activities and then it goes on to have quite a, a an effect and importantly a debilitating effect to the point where the person is unable to function and to enjoy life but importantly is unable to see beyond or, or to feel beyond the bleak and often described as blackness that they're feeling. There are various degrees of depression though and it really needs a careful assessment and diagnosis and everyone's different in that regard. There are enough similarities about it though to know that it's a debilitating illness and it prevents people from being the people that they are and achieving or functioning in the way that they usually do. Is it known what triggers off a depressive episode? For many people it is, yes. It can be genetic or there can be uh, a whole range of stressors uh, leading to the person over time being at risk of depression. Uh, so psychiatrists, psychologists would say, yes, there are some triggers for depression. One of those is alcohol. Another is substance use like marijuana and uh, or even uh, high rates of smoking. These are often used, though, to mask depression or to make people feel better. And so it's like a chicken and egg. So alcohol can trigger depression or it can worsen or exacerbate depression, as can marijuana. I suppose at some stage in our lives, most of us have been faced with a crisis. But this doesn't necessarily mean it will lead to depression, does it? No, it doesn't. That's another very good point. Uh, crises stress, acute distress, all of those are exactly that, grief and loss about losing uh, family and loved ones, uh, friends, all of those are everyday grief and loss. We will have crises, we will have stress, we'll have acute distress, none of those on their own are depression. Some of those though can contribute to people feeling overwhelmed and they can be risk factors for depression. That's why it's important to, to check out uh, how people are and how they're, how they're travelling and how they're feeling. It may be that many people when they're under stress do use alcohol, aspirin to, to relieve some of that stress and that can trigger depression. Sometimes a lifetime's accumulation of stress can also contribute to depression, particularly depression uh, in older people, but quite often it's not depression and that's why it's worth checking it out. Do you think our ability to talk to someone we trust could make a difference on how we handle these times? Very much. One of the great things that Beyond Blue does with our website and our information line is that it's anonymous. People can get on, have a look at the information and they can get a little more information and assistance 
and knowledge about depression and what to do next and importantly where to go, whether there's a psychologist or a GP near you. That information is on our website and available through our info line. But talking to people we trust too is important, particularly if they're informed. And so our great work, our best work, is reaching people right across the community, not just the people with depression, but families, friends, schools, school teachers, postmistresses, people within the community. If if our message is going out about depression, how common it is, but importantly, effective treatments are available and most people recover, then when we are talking to friends and family about how we're feeling or whether we're not sure it's depression, there'll be more knowledge about what we can do about it and importantly where people can go. How common is the attitude, I'll manage, I don't want to bother other people? Very, very common, particularly in men. And it's very common too with people who are quite well-functioning, achieving, goal-oriented individuals where they've often been able to overcome hurdles or, or challenges and so they think they can fix themselves for depression. And particularly for men where they're not uh, often uh, given to describing their illness to their mates. They might talk about footy or their car or, or work, but they may not talk about themselves and there's this sense of they should be able to fix themselves. Very much that sense of being able to fix oneself or not talking about depression exists right across the community, particularly in men, particularly in rural areas and particularly in areas where there is still the shame factor about talking about your illness or not travelling very well. And as I mentioned earlier, it can be seen by many as a weakness and that's a myth, And but it happens. And so that attitudinal change is what we're about. We're, we're looking to do at Beyond Blue as well, to change the attitudes both in the people and their self-talk, but also in people around them so that there isn't a blame happening around depression. Leonie, does it affect all ages? It does. So people often say, well, isn't it about being older and wouldn't you be depressed about uh, the you know usual losses over time to older people? It also happens to young people, to pregnant women, to, to men. So right across, across the lifespan, we have programs at Beyond Blue working with primary schools, secondary schools, young people, new mums, adults, Men, we accompany Movember, the Movember group each Movember, November really, uh, encouraging men to grow a moustache to change the face of men's health, getting people to talk about prostate cancer and depression really. So right across the lifespan, depression does affect people. How common is depression in the older members of our community? It's very common. It's quite widespread. It isn't well addressed either from GPs or health professionals or from older people themselves because, as I mentioned earlier, there's a great deal of self-talk. There's also, though, within older people in, in Australia's communities, a sense of mustn't grumble, mustn't complain, or I have no complaints. There's a great sense of, you know, survived the Depression, uh, maybe one or two world wars, brought your family up, um, worked hard, uh, and gotten through. So many people, elderly people, w- wouldn't see depression as an illness and often many GPs and health professionals don't see it either. They see it as part of ageing and that's one of the myths and misinformation that we're looking to challenge with one of our projects, the Council on the Ageing Partnership that Beyond Blue and the Council on the Ageing right across 
each state and territory has joined a peer education program. How would a family member be aware if mum or dad was becoming depressed and not just feeling sad about something? As I mentioned earlier, if that sadness and being different from their usual selves lost interest or pleasure in most of their usual activities over a longer period than just an event like somebody dying within the family or friendship group. So if that was a prolonged sadness and if they weren't responding, if they had poor concentration, perhaps uh, they were feeling tired or had no energy, they're feeling slowed down, restless or excessively busy, if they had sleep disturbances, if they were talking about these things over uh, very, very regularly, uh, that would be an indication. But again, it may not be depression and it's important to get it checked out. Does the person start to feel that there's not much point in getting out of bed, for example? That's a very common sign of depression, yes. Uh, Psychiatrists um, would list some of those things and not wanting to get out of bed uh, is one of those indicators. So does it affect their sleep pattern Very or is they, they just don't want to get out of bed? No, no, both. Um, there may be a sense of wanting to withdraw from life, from not going about their usual activities, either going to work or school or, or getting up. But depression may be identified by constant sleep disturbances, so not having good night's sleep on a regular basis. Sometimes we think about depression as being people just sit and cry all the time and... I don't know, just feeling unhappy. But this doesn't necessarily happen, does it? No, it doesn't. Quite often people go about their business, particularly at work or in social functions, and you wouldn't know. And the people are pretty well appearing as they are normally, but they may be living lives of quiet despair at home. So they can work or when they go out socially, they may be acting within their normal range, so you can't tell. But the person knows, and often people close to those people know, and it's not about us needing to be alert or vigil or anything like that, but or keeping vigilance, but it is about being aware of depression and how it can affect people, and importantly, losing the stigma and judgment that we may have had, including telling people when they are saying they're not travelling well or they think they might be depressed, well, what would you have to be depressed about? Plenty of people are worse off than you or pull your socks up or I've even heard it said uh, uh, put some lippy on love and get out there so often people aren't able to share how they're feeling publicly or at work and they do that at home or the reverse where at work they're not able to cope with the usual workflows that they have or they're unable to make decisions but at home they're, they're functioning as they normally would so as I mentioned, it's not so much about being alert, but it's about being aware and importantly, being informed. And if we're aware and informed and we know what services are available or we know we can get onto Beyond Blue's website, for example, or ring the info line, then we've made a good start so that people around us, if we're noticing that they have depression or they're talking to us about depression, we can give them information. Importantly, we can look it up for ourselves. I guess another symptom would be is if the person started to become irritable or just not wanting to communicate. Yes, they may, that may not be depression though. That may be other health problems. It may be around diabetes or, or other things. There may be worries that the person has. So again, it's worth checking out. It often, if the people have changed 
that they are appearing to be sad, down or miserable most of the time, lost interest or pleasure in most of their usual activities and then they've got other things happening in their lives, that's when it could be depression and it's worth checking out. I guess in amongst all of that is if they change their eating habits and either gain weight, which would maybe make them feel that they want to just hide away because I'm getting too fat, or that they're losing weight because they're not eating. Is this a common sign? They can be signs for depression, yes. But as we've mentioned, they can also be signs of other illness areas, but they certainly can be signs of depression. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and I'm talking today with Leonie Young, CEO of Beyond Blue. Leonie, we've touched lightly on some of the symptoms that we should be or can be aware of, but how can we as friends and family help? You know, where do we start? That's a good question. If people are confiding in us, we can have a listening ear rather than judging them or telling them to pull their socks up, as I mentioned. If we know that or we think that they could have some assistance or encouragement to visit a GP, we can be encouraging them to do that. There's a huge amount, a mountain of literature on what helps, what works, and we could help them for that as well. We could look it up or we could make a call. Mostly it's about uh, having a listening ear and being, uh, being responsive to people when they're talking about how they're feeling. I suppose when you talk to someone and you've started to get their ear and you say, well, maybe you need some counselling. Now, I could think of a, a couple of people personally. If you mention the word counsellor, they dig their heels in and, and disappear at a great rate of knots. Yes. How can the average person get around this to persuade them that you know counselling is not something that they should be ashamed of? Well, firstly, we might not diagnose. And we might not say they could do with counselling, but we might ask them, have they seen a health professional? That could be a GP. Uh, from November last year, Australia and our health system under Medicare, GPs across the country can refer to psychologists under um, Medicare and be covered. So you don't need a great deal of money or private health insurance to see a psychologist, which is fantastic. But people may have a reluctance or a fear of either counselling or medication. There are a lot of myths around about uh, depression and part of our work is, and talking about it today is addressing some of those myths. It may not be up to us to recommend people see a counsellor. Having an assessment in the first instance is really important. And it may be about not sleeping and it may be around a whole range of things that are triggers for people to have that health assessment. In the health assessment, having it for depression as well is a good first step. And then there are a range of options for treatment, including counselling, including cognitive-based therapies, talking therapies around reframing negative thoughts, and medication for some people. With many people having severe depression, they do respond well to medication, SSRIs, and are not addictive. That's something else that some people often think, well, I'm not going on medication because I'll be on it for the rest of my life. Uh, that's not so. And as I mentioned, there are effective treatments for depression now and most people recover. Making that very first step and having a, a, a checkup is very, very important. Sometimes because of the problems that I guess the whole of the country has with having too few doctors, that the waiting time between getting the, the person to say, yes, I'll go to the doctor and actually getting there is quite a long time. 
How can we best support people during this waiting time? Well, you can straight away ring the Beyond Blue information line and get the information you need there and then rather than having to wait to talk to a doctor. There are also find a doctor and find a psychologist lists on our website. There are support services on the web and on the telephone as well. So there's Lifeline, Relationships Australia, uh, Centrelink, uh, a whole range of support services available, suicide prevention lines. And letting people know what else is available is often a first step. But as you say, in some areas of Australia, there's a shortage of GPs. It does take up to three weeks to get there. And there's you know, a, a gap between wanting to see someone and uh, getting there. I'd encourage people to get some more information through the library or through the internet or through those telephone lines. And if the issue is about not sleeping, have a look. Uh, maybe have a talk to a pharmacist as well. Uh, particularly give Beyond Blue's information line a call or other information lines. Just for information, the website for Beyond Blue is www.beyondblue.org.au. Is that right? Yes, thank you. How many people are affected by depression? Good question. A million people at any one time in Australia and one in five of us at some point in our lifetime. Men or women in the majority? Uh, one in four women, one in six men have identified as having depression in the last national survey that was undertaken. Are there any figures to show how much time is lost in working days because of this condition? Yes, around six million working days a year. It costs us in the order of billions of dollars. Absenteeism, days out of role, not sleeping, a whole range of things add up to not feeling well. They may not be depression, but with depression-related illness, including alcohol and substance use, quite a number of days lost and uh, quite a cost to our economy. So it actually costs us more not to address depression than it does to do that. I know that recently as the result of the drought and, and maybe with the recent rains we've had, this won't be a problem for much longer. But there is a growing concern about the number of people on the land who are becoming so depressed that they're going out and committing suicide. What's being done for these people? Firstly, that's a myth and uh, it's important to let people know that. Drought and other major weather patterns do cause a lot of stress and distress, we're not sure that it's causing suicide. And so it's really important to say that. But people, as I mentioned, with stress and accumulated distress can often feel that they don't have a lot of supports available for them. There's a huge safety net. There are many, many drought coordinators in local areas and I'd urge people if they've got any concerns about the drought and their livelihood and what services and welfare services are available to them to talk to their local drought coordinator or Centrelink coordinator. But uh, in terms of numbers of people with depression, one in four women, one in six men, and doing something about it, we do know that the patterns of depression across Australia are pretty similar in rural and in city areas, but we know that people in rural areas are reluctant to seek help or talk about it or quite often don't have a GP locally to see. And so that's where there's a difference. So there's an imbalance, if you like, in terms of accessing services. But more importantly, there's a sense of not talking about it and a shame factor in rural areas. And that's why our work and your radio station 
uh, reaching people in rural and regional areas, letting them know that there is help available and they can talk to someone or get help uh, when they need it. It's very, very important to know that. Often people in rural and regional areas feel alone. Just very briefly, Leonie, there's a, a thing called SAD, which is something to do with the weather. Is this just a seasonal thing and it will come and go, or is it truly something that affects our psyche? It's something that is more common in Europe than it is in Australia, but for some people in Australia, uh, certainly seasonal affective disorder is more than the winter blues and it can affect people's psyche. It's quite different from the mood changes a lot of people feel because of the change of season and the disruptions to their summer lifestyle, if you like. So with SAD, the depression symptoms are more about slowing down. People sleep more, eat more and usually crave carbohydrates which lead to weight gain. They'll have a lot less energy and won't necessarily want to spend time with others. It's a cluster of symptoms that make the person look like they're going into hibernation, so our psychiatrists tell us. But the cause of the disorder is believed to be a lack of exposure to light. And in Australia, there's very beautiful, strong light in wintertime in many, many areas. Central Australia, Canberra, right across our rural areas. What is important is for people to get up in the morning and get some exposure to sunlight, ideally before 8 a.m. Dawn and morning light is believed to be integral in regulating our biorhythms. Uh, and combining this with exercise is really important. So seasonal affective disorder does happen, more so in Europe than in Australia. It's not uncommon though here and I've just given you some insights from the psychiatrists who are working with Beyond Blue on the treatment of seasonal affective disorder in Australia but it, it is sometimes a cluster of symptoms. And finally, Leone, before I let you go, are there any tips on how to get a person to take that first step to get help? other than sort of saying, oh, come on, you really should go type thing. Yes, uh, just having a listening ear rather than being the diagnosing or the person who knows the answers and encouraging them to seek help for, help for a range of things that are health-related is often a good step. Sometimes they won't go, though, and that's understandable. Uh, and so, therefore, getting information yourself about living with or assisting someone with depression is is important and you can find that on our website or ring our information line for that but so too can other agencies like ARAFME or SANE or GROW give people insights into depression and what to do uh, for people they care about who have depression. Leonie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You're very welcome. My guest today has been Leonie Young, CEO of Beyond Blue, the organisation working to help people with depression. That number again for Beyond Blue is one three hundred double two four six three six, and the website is www.beyondblueoneword.org.au. I'm Iris Nichols, and on behalf of the team, until the next time we meet, we all wish you well.